Good morning. Dave and I met a few weeks back, and uh, he was expressing to me the desire to see us go through the scripture systematically. There's three types of studies, you can say, or, or preaching in the Word of God that you see in the scriptures, or that we follow by. One of them is like a prophet or a topical, where someone comes with a word the Lord's laid upon their heart, and he comes and he shares with the saints. Could be rebuke, could be a correction, could just be instruction in the way of righteousness, whatever it might be. There's the book study where, like Wednesday nights, you sit down and you go through the book. You look at it in its entire context, the background, um, the examination. Why is this writer writing to this particular church? Or what's this prophet saying? And, and what's the time frame in Israel? And so on and so forth. The other one, I think, is, and I believe, is the systematic study of the scriptures. I think this is a little more uh, neglected today, perhaps, because it's difficult to do. You see it in seminaries and in Bible colleges and so forth. But Paul tells the Ephesian elders that he did not shun to declare to them the whole counsel of God. And I think it's important as Christians to systematically go through the scriptures to put them all together. So, for instance, we're going to give a little introduction today. You sit down and you look at God. And you take the whole Bible and look at what the Bible has to say who God is. As well as Christ, you sit down and just study Christ and take all the scriptures on Christ and put them together. That would be uh, Christology or pneumatology, which is the study of the Holy Spirit. Or ecclesiology, the study of the church. And you systematically go through it. And I'd like to, if the Lord permits, this is his assembly. As a look at this and to systematically go through the scriptures in this way, provide notes to you, and this is not just myself but other men of this assembly, to systematically look at the scriptures and, and put them together and to feed the sheep, to declare the whole counsel of God. Well, we decided to start off with no better subject than to start off, start off with God. Who is God? This is going to be an introduction, and I don't have notes for you today, but in the future it would be nice to provide notes for you and outlines of the study and so forth so you can take notes and, and take home something. But this is kind of an introduction. Once we get it all lined up and the men involved and, and the dates and everything else, we could uh, uh, get a little more organized on it, you might say. But this morning I just want to look at our God. Back up from the scriptures. Back up in your life. If you were a bird, or one thing you do when we fly in airplanes, what do you do? You look down upon the earth as you fly. And you see how magnificent, how big our earth is and the creative powers of God. But what I want you to do is just think about who is God? First question some of you might be asking, is there a God? Why do you believe there's a God? These are questions that are contemplated and men out there that would try to tell you that there is no God. As the movie that just came out, God's Not Dead, they go forth in that movie to try to demonstrate that God is surely alive and that the arguments are on the side of the Christian. In Psalms 14, verse 1, the Bible says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. How do we know what God is like? 
These are all tremendous questions that we must answer. We know we exist. We know we're here. Your, your consciousness know, uh, can tell that, hey, I can think. I can reason. I can look around and see other people here. But our existence, why is it? That's what we're going to look at a little bit this morning. There's only one way to know who God is, and that is to believe the Bible and to read it and to understand who he is. Now, if you're someone that doesn't believe in the Bible, then you've got to go beyond that, and we'll look at some other stuff. But the Bible declares to us who God is. When I go to work and you talk to other people, usually what they start off with sentences when you get into a conversation about God is they say, I think God is this, and they'll spout something out. That's nice you think God's that, but on what basis are you basing your facts upon? Is that created by your own intelligence? Is it created because that's what you want God to be like? Or is it truly what God is like? You see, if we don't understand the scriptures and if we don't get into the word of God and we don't see who God is, when you hit the tough times in life or when you go through things, you have a wrong perspective of God. And then people say, where is God when I need him? Well, God is always there. It's just your perspective of him was not correct. Because you, you see, God is God. It doesn't matter what you believe of God. It doesn't matter what you want to declare of God. God is God. And you must come to God and see God as he, who he is. We can make up God all day long. We can make up a way of salvation all day. But it's based upon my intellect and my reasoning and my thought process of trying to get this stuff. But see, God is bigger than our thoughts. He's bigger than our mind. Our God is mighty. He is huge. He is magnificent. And if I can get you one thing I can accomplish this morning is for our small minds, our infinite minds, to contemplate who God is. William McDonald said this, the greatest thought to enter the mind is the contemplation of God. You see, God created us with the mind. He, he created us with the ability to think out who he is, to communicate with us. Now, I want you to uh, take you back, and I want you to pretend for a second, and, and don't pretend too much because you might actually think this, but think you're God. How are you the infinite almighty being going to communicate yourself to your creatures? How are you going to do it? How is he, a spirit, and we know God is invisible, how is he going to declare himself to man? It's quite a task, but the, the Lord is good at what he does, and he makes no mistakes. And he knows our makeup because he designed us. These are all tremendous thoughts to think about. Another example that our brother Bill McDonald gave I want you to think about the ocean. And we're going to talk about the ocean a lot today because the ocean is vast. It's huge. The amount of water that's in it. I remember Amy's grandmother came out before she passed away to visit us in California. She had lived most of her life in Iowa, uh, a farmer. 
I can't remember if she's actually, I think she's seen the ocean in the past, but it's been a long time since she's observed the ocean. And we took her to the beach. And she just stood there and stared at it. And just wanted to sit there and watch the water. How beautiful the ocean is, how big it is, how overwhelming. Now I want you to think of the ocean, what Bill McDonald compares to us trying to gain knowledge of God would be equivalent to you to take a bucket, go down to the water of the ocean and scoop it out. This is about how much we can obtain of who God is. Furthermore, as you watch the ocean, that, that one bucket out of it doesn't even affect it. The water level doesn't drop. Nothing affects it because God is so mighty and so big, we just taste a bit of how great he is. Brothers and sisters, we have not seen how mighty and how great our God is, but we have just seen a portion. And you stand there and go, wow. There's two aspects of God to look at. The first one is his attributes, our character of God. And you can see at who God is and you marvel at who he is and what he does. We could study this for all of eternity on how magnificent our God is and the very nature of who he is. And then there's his work. And we see the creative and sustaining work of God. And there's also the redemptive work. And what we're going to focus on, redemptive work, if we were to systematically study, we would see it later on, we would look at it. But right today, we're going to look at more in just awe of who God is and the creative and the sustaining work of God. You know, when we go hunting, um, you go out there and you track the animal down. So say you're going deer hunting. Or I'll use an illustration. We were in Wyoming and the boys and I went backpacking back up in there with my uh, dad and my father-in-law. So we go about four miles back into the wilderness there. And one of my hopes was to see a grizzly bear. I don't want to be eaten by a grizzly bear. I got my pepper spray. Hopefully it stops them. If not, then I carry something else. But, um, but as we're walking through there, you, you see the paw prints of a grizzly bear. You can see the, the, the circular paw where it goes down as well as the claws that dug into the ground. Now, would anyone argue here that there was no grizzly bear in that area? The simple facts that you could say is there was a grizzly bear that walked through that portion of the country at some point in time, and based upon the freshness of the tracks, I probably missed him by a couple hours maybe. I don't know. Should have got up earlier. The same thing with God. You can see the footprints of God everywhere you look. The fool has said there is no God. God is here revealing himself to us. Look at Romans chapter 1 and verse 19. See, because what we see all around us is the footprints of God and his handiwork. And you see, God has created this earth. Not only has he created this earth with the mindset of giving us somewhere that's going to sustain us, giving us somewhere that, that we can live and uh, enjoy, but God has created this earth and this universe and the heavens and everything else with overwhelming power and display of how great he is. We're going to get into it a little bit later, but 
There are billions and billions and billions of stars out there. Now, wouldn't we have just been satisfied with a billion? Man cannot reach the end of the universe. It's an amazing concept when you see how big God is and how small we are. But look at verse 19 of chapter 1. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. Look at verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Verse 21, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So what Paul is clearly revealing here is that by the creation, by the mighty hand of God, it begs the question that there must be a creator that created everything that we see around us. This stuff cannot take place by chance. Evolution cannot bring about what we see in the complexity of life in which we have. But an individual looking up can see that there is a creator. And there's something that God has put within them that says, you are accountable to your creator. You must seek the creator and follow him. Now, as we read on here, man doesn't seek the creator. He turns from the creator. So the creator comes after man. But he has revealed the heavens. He's revealed everything to show us how great and mighty God is to the point that we are without excuse. One thing I'll make a note about an evolutionist is I don't believe an evolutionist, and this is my own theory, really cares if you believe in evolution. It's not his purpose. His purpose is that you don't believe in God. He can probably care less if you believe in Darwin's theory or anything else, but that you say that there is no God. Why is that? Why is he so concerned? Why does America, in our courtrooms, they place the Ten Commandments? Why are people appalled by it? Because if there's a creator, they are accountable to that creator to respond. So if the evolutionists, if the atheists, if the individuals say there's no God, I can live whatever way I want and I can go about doing whatever because there is no laws. The, the whole moral reasoning is out the door if evolution is true. Good and evil, there is no such thing. The very contemplation of what we know within our government and laws and everything is set in order by God. And if you remove God from that equation, technically, I could steal from you and that's not wrong. I could kill you and that's not wrong. Because the moral reasoning is from God, our creator, that has put it within us and what he has established and declared. While we're on this subject of evolution, I'm going to read a little quote I printed off here. In the very chances of evolution, really it's 0% chance because in order to have evolution, you've got to have something. You can't get something from nothing. It's just an impossibility. And it's really a 0% chance. But to say, in theory, this guy has theory, uh, came up, uh, excuse me. In theory, if you were to give evolutionists, an atheist, his reasoning behind the logic of something 
of matter to come about in, in, in the right circumstances, and then you, you all of a sudden have this reproduction, and then as it grows into what we know today, is really a mathematical um, impossibility. What he says here, and uh, I printed this off the, the Christian Research Institute, he says, therefore, the successful production of a 200-component functioning organism requires at least 200 successful, successful such mutations, each of which is highly unlikely. Even evolutionists recognize the true mutations are very rare, and the beneficial mutations are extremely rare. Not more than one out of a thousand mutations are beneficial at the very most. Elementary statistical theory shows that the probability of 200 successful mutation being one chance out of 10 to the 60th power. So that'd be 10 with 60 zeros behind it. Now, if I posted those odds in Vegas, how many people would go in that casino? <laughs> but this is what people are, are, are putting their whole future on. The number 10 to the 60th, if written out, would be one followed by 60 zeros. In other words, the chance that a 200 component organism could be formed by mutation and natural selection is less than one chance out of a trillion, 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 trillion. Lest anyone think that a 200 part system is unreasonably complex, it should be known that even one called plant or animal may have millions of molecular parts. He goes on to describe it more, and it's just a, it's not even a logical reasoning. And I've said it before, and it's really not a correct thing, but I said it takes a, an atheist or an evolutionist to have more faith than does a Christian. But see, a Christian puts their faith and trust in God. It's not a blind faith. But really what an atheist is, is he's putting a blind faith in a system. The problem with evolutionists, and when we get into this and we look at creation versus evolution, is that... The evolutionist has said there's no God. He's what the Bible calls a fool. How many of you want to listen to a fool? What perplexes me more is how many people try to co-mingle the works of a dead man, and I say dead because they're spiritually dead, with the works of God and try to come up with some theistic evolution and try to take the best of both worlds of trying to take the science of today and co-mingle it with the, the, the evolution within God created it, and then he watches this stuff go about. Why would we even entertain the thoughts of fools? You see, God's creative work is there. And because we don't understand it, because we can't give an answer to it, doesn't mean that God did not speak it and it was there. God has a reason for it. His ways are higher than our ways. We can't comprehend them. His understandings are so great. But we come by faith and we read the word of God. And let's turn to Genesis chapter 1. And we'll declare what God has said and what our origin is and where we came from. There's a video out that 
as we go on this day, I'd like to show it's God of Wonders. It's a tremendous video that covers creationists and creation and different things and, and, and shows how magnificent the creation is and they go into um, everything, but um, they show clips and stuff upon that. And I forgot why I was telling you this, that story. So we'll go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the heavens. Thus God made the firmament, and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so, and God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gatherings together of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, and the herb that they yield seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself and on the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, and the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the third day. Then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years, and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Then God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created, created great sea creatures and every living creature, oh, excuse me, and every living thing that moves, with which the waters abounded according to their kind, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters of, in the seas, and let the birds multiply on, multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth a living creature, according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing, and beasts of the earth, each according to its kind, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our own image. According to our likeness, let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing 
that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed to you, it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the six days. Chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. What a tremendous account. And the question has to be begged, do you believe this? I don't think that God is, is interested in deceiving us. I think he wants to reveal himself to us. And I believe what he says here, and I, I'm no uh, scientist. Uh, I'm no uh, guy that's highly educated in the, in the fields of astronomy or anything else. I'm a simple guy, and I just believe the Bible. But when it says God created the heavens and the earth, I believe he did it. By the word of his power, he spoke, and it came about. Also, I believe it was six literal days. God, through the, through the Holy Spirit, is writing out these scriptures. And if he wanted to uh, reveal something other than a 24-hour day, he could use a lot, of, a lot of different words. We get these guys that want to prolong it, that, that a day is not really a day, and that it's, it, you can really try to take into account these billions of years in which stuff evolved into the... Cre it's nonsense. God spoke it. It came into a, to existence. And what kind of God would we have that, couldn't, that if you say he couldn't do this? Some date the earth back as far as maybe 10,000 years. An early universe. Everything points to an early universe. And scientists will come up with all kinds of stuff. And you've got to understand, these, these fools, they have good stuff. But they also want to lie to you. I think I shared this story one time, is that growing up, we loved dinosaurs. And, and, and we believe dinosaurs one at a time roamed the earth. And, and I visited a, a, an archaeological uh, site out in Colorado. Where it's a museum. And actual guy, uh, they had bones and all their fossils. And not only bones, or fossils and all the different stuff and their displays. And I asked the guy, I go, you guys put out, I mean, obviously they say, this is a Brachiosaurus. Well, I grew up with the Brontosaurus, so why the name change? Because this scientist over here jumped on the bandwagon and called it a Brontosaurus, and this other one came over and said, you missed the mark, it's actually a Brachiosaurus, and now we got some other source. But he said, in a finding, if they are good, they will find about 30% of the dinosaur. That's a good find. So 70% is made up? This is fact to the scientists. So I'm supposed to believe when you say, I, I found a foot bone and an arm, that all of a sudden they develop the heads. And then you watch these shows that are so silly in which they, they try to say, this is what the animal did back in this day and time and everything from a few fossils. The fool has said there is no God. And see, their whole disposition and when they approach this is all wrong because they're trying to prove there's no God. It's a faulty view. It, it, the, the whole setup is, is going to fall apart because 
if they came about with the understanding that God created the heavens and the earth, you would see the signs, you would understand the wonders, you would, you would see, and your, your, your amazement of God is so spectacular, you would just stand in awe. Even Darwin said, and don't tell me to find this quote, but what I, my understanding is he said, it is impossible for the eye to evolve. It is so complex. It's impossible. You look at the complexity of our life. Our skin sweats out, but water cannot go in. We heal ourselves. We have a tremendous immune system. DNA in itself is just spectacular. The amount of data that is in one single cell is just amazing. The code that is written in there for your entire makeup. And every DNA is different. Every cell, every person is different. You know, this, this video I was telling you about, they show that the snowflakes come down. I forget where it says it, but uh, it says, uh, I think it was in Joe, have you considered the snowflakes? Every snowflake is different. It's not too alike. The beauty, the marvel of them. And when they get them on the microscope and they look at it, it, the handiwork of God, you stand there in awe. And as our brother Bill pointed out, he said he's the God not only of the microscope, but of the telescope. To the very intrinsic bug you look at with this beautiful decoration and color upon it, a butterfly. To the great universe, the stars, the sun, and you keep going on and how marvelous this world is. It's just incredible. And to say that it all came about by chance? This is the handiwork. The heavens declare the glory of God. You see the work of his, of his handiwork, of his creative power, that in everything you walk out and look at, you see the design of the designer. If I had a, a bag of popsicle sticks, I would demonstrate also that the chance of evolution would be like if I took that popsicle sticks threw them on the table, and it formed a house. That's the chances of it. He would say, you're wasting your time. The whole purpose is to contemplate who God is and to recognize we have a mighty, powerful, huge God that is in absolute control of everything. But more importantly, he loves us, and he is involved each and every one of our lives. He loves us enough to send his son to die on the cross for our sins. We're going to do a little demonstration in a minute here, and I got, hopefully this will be good, I don't know. Um, our God is amazing. I want to read some verses here, and then we're going to show, turn to Job chapter 36. If you've got a highlighter, I'll write down these verses. These are, these are little gold nuggets that are within the scriptures. And it always amazes me how and it's only through the Spirit of God that they know this stuff, but how back in this day and time, they would declare what God is like. Job chapter 36 and verse 26. It says, Behold, God is great, and we do not know him. Nor can the number of his years be discovered. Flip over to Job chapter 37, verse 1. At this also my heart trembles and leaps from its place. Hear attentively the thunder of his voice and the rumbling that comes from his mouth. He sends it forth under the whole heaven. 
His lightning to the ends of the earth. After it, a voice roars. He thunders with a, with a majestic voice. And he does not restrain them when his voice is heard. God thunders marvelously with his voice. He does great things which we cannot comprehend. God is great, is what they're saying here. But we can't comprehend him. Why? Because he's infinite. And we are finite. And the very mere, we're going to get just a mere glimpse from the scriptures of how Great God is, but even these are limited in, in describing God because he's the indescribable. How do you describe God? How do you tell someone who God is? You see, through the course of scriptures that we had time, they, they try to bring God down to something that's corruptible, something they can touch, something they can see, something they can bow before, something that they can worship. What does he tell uh, Moses? I am who I am. What is the name of God? God. The Lord God. There is no other God. There is no Allah, or this God, or this God. God is God alone. His name is the Lord God. And then he begins to describe himself as the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Associates with his people. And he goes on. And the one that came from heaven has declared to us who God is, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we got someone to put our eyes upon. Now I got something that I can see, I can touch, I can feel, and that's in Jesus. God, come in the flesh. Emmanuel, what a tremendous way in which God wants to communicate and reveal himself to us. Turn to Job chapter 26. Job 26 and verse 14. This is, this is a tremendous verse. Indeed, these are mere the edges of his ways, and how small a whisper we hear of him. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? What is he talking about here? Indeed, these are mere the edges, or another translation is the outskirts of his ways. And see, what he's given the comparison is, is that everything we see around us, all this magnificent creation of who God is, is near the outside of God. Can you imagine if you got to the center, how magnificent it is? We see kingdoms and castles and everything else, and people stand on the outside of the walls and look at them, and they go, man, that is magnificent. They're not even in the inside. We're going to come a day in the future where we're dwelling in the inside, where the glory of the Son of God shines forth and is our Son and gives forth our light. But the glory of God is so tremendous, we can only see the trail, the outskirts of it, because it would just overtake us. Our minds cannot comprehend the inners of who God is, so he merely gives us the edges, the outskirts, and says, here you go, and our minds are filled with just that. Amazing. Turn over to Psalm chapter 33. Psalm chapter 33 and verse 6. 
By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the, up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, it was done. He commanded, it stood fast. What a tremendous God. He speaks and it takes place. You and I, in order to move something or do, do something, it takes our strength and effort and we go about and we struggle and we wrestle with it. God just speaks. That's the power of our God. Look at Psalms 56. Psalm 56 and verse 8. You number my wanderings, put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? Here you have the great God that created the universe. And, and from my understanding, you number my wanderings, in, in which I looked at it, it's a tossing. And it's referring to something like when you're in bed tossing back and forth. Can't sleep. I just want to get some sleep. And you go back and forth. God counts those. He knows when you're restless. But look at this. Put my tears into your bottle. When we go through suffering, when we go through pain, and when there's tears that are shed, don't ever think that God is, is a distant God and he's not involved. He bottles every tear. He knows every single one. He has a bowl of our prayers that sits before him, every single one he takes. What a magnificent God. Why is he mindful of us? And we can go on in Psalm 104 and 32 as he speaks and he makes the earthquakes and volcanoes explode and so forth. And look at Psalm 113, verse 5. There's so many. We could sit here all day and look at this and and discuss it. But 100, Psalm 113, verse 5 and 6. Who is, the, who is like the Lord our God, who dwells on high, who humbles himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and in the earth? And what he's trying to give a description here is how big God is. Now, he literally has to stoop down. He has to bend down to see what's going on here on earth. That's how big he is. It's just a, a picture. But he's bending down and he's stooping down to see what's going on. Look at Psalm 147, verse 4. We've already mentioned that there are billions and billions of stars. Let me read something to you real quick. I don't have time, but... Um, Okay, how big is the universe? This is Bill McDonald's God is Wonderful. How big is the universe? Actually, no one knows. Astronomers are still trying to find the answer to the question. Without telescope vision, we can see about 2,000 stars. As recently as the 1920s, we thought that our galaxy, the Milky Way, represented the limit of the cosmos. 
but with the introduction of more powerful telescopes, we realized that it was much more immense than that. Einstein estimated that the circumference of space could be 210,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,
the Son of God. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son was given. Colossians chapter 1, it talks about how the Lord Jesus Christ holds all things together by his power. And look at Hebrews chapter 1. Yet tremendous love that the great creator of the universe loved us so much that he would stoop down, take on humanity, and go to the cross of Calvary and die for you and me. He knew there was only one way. He knew there was only one way of redemption. You have this mass universe. Billions and billions of light years away are the stars and the other universe. And the, we're a speck. Robert, Rick, you got that rock? If you were to say this whole, this is the universe right here. This is the cosmos. Hold up that rock. That's Earth inside here. That's even generous. I'm sorry. That's kind of generous. But God loved us that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Sin came between us and God. Sin separated us from God. But his love was so much that our creation, we were created for him and by him, for his good pleasure. We were created to glorify God and to live for him, and that's our purpose in this life. It's only through Jesus Christ our Lord that we are reconciled back to our creator and our God, and we can live for him with purpose and meaning. Let's bow in prayer. Our gracious God and Father, we just give you thanks so much. We see the marvels of your handiworks. We see your creative work, Lord, and the balance of nature and how you sustain the oceans, sustain land, sustain the air, the animal kingdom, whatever it might be. You are just magnificent in all your ways, beyond our thoughts. But we thank you for loving people such as us. We are but a speck of dust, this earth, compared to you, O oh God. But you sent your son to this speck of dust to save us from damnation and hell. Thank you. Thank you so much. We turn to you and we glorify you and serve you and live for you. In the name of Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.